Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. Welcome to the Gospel for Life. Uh, we are excited. Uh, today is the last day in our series kind of explaining why we call ourselves the Gospel for Life. It's not merely the, the name that we thought was a cool name to come up with. Actually, it's very descriptive of of one things that we are one of the things that we are deeply convicted of, namely that the gospel of Jesus Christ not only is the foundation of our salvation, of our justification, but it's also the foundation of our sanctification. It's the foundation of how we persevere all the way till the end. And brother, I mean, uh, Phil, you just set off air that you just taught on the the seven letters to the churches in the book of Revelation. What are the saints singing about in heaven? Yeah, they're, they're singing the praise of Jesus. Yeah, they're singing about the gospel. Yeah. That should be instructive all by itself. Yeah. If, our, if, if we see the future of the kingdom and, and we see the saints singing about Christ, there's something there that we're not seeing, is there? That's right. So we've been looking at 1 Corinthians as a test case. Paul in this letter has been taking um, the problems that the Corinthian church faced, very relevant, very modern problems that we also face today, and showing how um, those problems are solved by the gospel. Or you could say it negatively, those problems exist because they weren't believing aspects of the gospel. You guys think that's a fair way of coining it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So today we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, Matt, you want to... Go from there, show us how the gospel for life is seen in 1 Corinthians 15. Yeah, especially 1 and 2. You mentioned perseverance. Uh, Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Notice the prepositions here. Uh, he's uh, The gospel is kind of this location and this ground under our feet and this energy that that made us and is driving us this way to glory. But notice also two conditional words, if and unless. So there's this there's this dynamic here. On the one hand, you could look at this and say, hey, I, I thought you guys said you're Calvinists. Uh, you believe that uh, God does it all. And said, so, well, okay, first of all, that's a caricature. God does all that which we cannot do, and he's the one that saves us. But he uses secondary causes. He uses means like our faith, like our repentance. And we mentioned Luther's statement, our continued repentance, our, our life of repentance. So what's going on here by this if and unless is not God, you know, giving back with the left hand what he, what he, you know, what he gave you with the right. That's not what's going on here. This is a proving out of your faith. And there's tons of verses that talk about it. Second Peter 1.10, be diligent to make your calling and election sure. In the second Corinthian letter, chapter 13, I think it's verse 7, to test yourself, to see if you're in the faith. And there's passages like that that make this appeal to us testing it out. Not because God's taking the test, but because we're proving out what in fact is already real. That's what's going on here. But but the real key is that it's the gospel that does that. The same gospel that saved you and informed your first faith and repentance 
is the gospel that you're going to want to hear on your deathbed, and it's the gospel that strengthens mm. your faith and gives you assurance that you belong to God the rest of the way. Mm. Yeah, and this uh, affirmation of the gospel in chapter 15 grows out of, once again, one of the problems that the Corinthians are experiencing. Uh, apparently, one of the things they were dealing with was uh, chaotic worship. Uh, their, their worship has become uh, this sort of free-for-all a disorderly free-for-all at the end at the end of chapter 14 paul scolds them for that and he closes it he closes out well well he didn't write the chapter divisions but the the the, at the end of chapter 14 in our bibles he gives them the verse that is most beloved of every presbyterian all (laughs) things should be done decently and in order um by golly, Presbyterians, if nothing else, they're organized. And uh, <clears throat> and then he takes them back to the gospel, having scolded them for disorderly worship, that your worship is not honoring Christ because it's disorderly. And by the way, what, what this says is, you know, there's a modern myth that somehow the spontaneous is, well, well, the modern myth is that own, that authenticity is found only in spontaneity. Mm-hmm. That only that which is spontaneous, only that which is an ecstatic outburst of the emotions and somewhere buried deep down within me, that is authentic. And, that but is it, spiritual. That's spiritual. And if you took time to plan something out, if you took time to plan something in an orderly way, then that's somehow not authentic or not spiritual. Bunk. Paul says all things should be done, and he's talking about worship. All things should be done decently and in order. And then he takes them back to the gospel. Uh, As Matt was showing us just a minute ago, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. And then I'm going to skip to chapter 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. Uh, there's, there's a number of different ways in the, in the Scripture, there's a number of different ways to state the gospel. This is one of them, and this, it isn't the only one. You know, we talk about John 3, said, Luther said John 3.16 is the gospel in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. This is another way of expressing the gospel from Scripture in a nutshell. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. You know, what's interesting about this chapter is um, the Corinthians were playing with the idea of, well, how, how, how important is this doctrine of the resurrection? Like we can believe in Jesus, but do we really need to believe in this doctrine? And we've seen the same thing in our day. Um, a number of years ago, um, a teacher who has since left the faith named Rob Bell was, was comparing the Christian faith to like a big brick wall. And he was saying that each individual brick represented a doctrine of the Christian faith. And he's like, if you just take one brick out, you don't lose the whole wall. And he said, for instance, if you take out the, the, the doctrine of the virgin birth, what do we really lose? And of course, I think it was Kevin DeYoung or some pastor who said, well, you actually lose everything if, if you lose. Like you lose Jesus. <laughs> yes, you lose Jesus. Because <laughs> he was the one born. Right. Yeah, and so the, the same thing, Paul is addressing the same thing here. Uh, the Christian faith is an inherently doctrinal thing. It's, it's, it's not just um, 
um, a spiritual experience. It's not just an emotional high. It's a it's a reality rooted in history, in yes. historical facts. And if those historical facts are not real, we don't have the gospel. Mm-hmm. And Paul trots that out by using the resurrection. Matt, you want to go from there? How does how does he use the resurrection as as proving that out? Well. The clearest part, the bullseye here, is this very tightly, logically packed argument in in verses 12 through 19. There's a lot of if-thens there. Uh, If Christ is not—and it really starts most generally. If there is no resurrection from the dead, seemingly suggesting that there were those that denied something about the general resurrection. We don't know exactly what, Um, and different commentators have different speculations. But the upshot is the resurrection as a general concept was denied. Well, if there is no resurrection in general, then Christ has not been raised from the dead. But if Christ has not been raised from the dead, you're not getting raised from the dead because your resurrection, as a lot of the scriptures uh, indicate, is wrapped up in his resurrection. And so if he hasn't been raised, you're not getting raised. Well, if you're not getting raised, you're still dead in your sins. And that's linked to the new birth as well, incidentally. And so, you know, whether it's the rest of the chapter where he starts to talk about what the nature of the resurrection is, body and soul, the first thing you need to know is that you're going to die in your sins. Uh, your faith is in vain. Uh, because One of the reasons is because the resurrection is linked judicially to justification and what he did on the, on the cross. Romans 4.25 talks about that. He was raised for our justification. So if you take away, you know, back to the Rob Bell thing, what do you lose if you lose the resurrection? Your life in Christ, your the forgiveness of sins, the whole nine yards, you lose it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, when we talk about 1 Corinthians 15 and these great verses, um, beginning with verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. This is so packed and dense that we don't have, and you know, we don't have time to get into it here. But I would just want the listener to know that, uh, by the way, First uh, Corinthians is probably scholars tell us probably the oldest book in the New Testament uh, in, in in terms of when they were written. Uh, it, it probably written about twenty five years after the events that Paul is talking about here when he says that Christ died and according Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture he's probably writing about 25 years after that event of the cross and resurrection and he's probably here quoting a uh, doctrinal statement mm-hmm. that was not original to him he says I pass on to you what I received um, he's as faithfully a first as a first importance. So this is probably uh, scholars agree. This is a um, confessional statement. This is a doctrinal statement, an early confession of faith, mm-hmm. like the Apostles' Creed, or uh, this is one of the one of the earliest Christian confessions that we have. So that pushes it back further. Paul is writing twenty five years after the event. Mm-hmm. If this is a this is a doctrinal statement that Paul didn't himself write, he received it. That pushes it back even closer to the event. Mm-hmm. And so this may seem a little bit off the topic, but, but listener, Christian, don't ever believe the bunk that says that, well, you know, people took this pristine teaching of this wise man, Jesus, and over hundreds of years it developed into the stuff about him d- d- dying for our sins and, and his rising from the dead. You know, that took, that took decades and decades and 
No. You know, we're talking about the immediate aftermath of the events described in the, in the Gospels of the cross and resurrection of Jesus, yeah. uh, that Paul is proclaiming this gospel as, as something that he received and he's faithfully passing it on. And the, and, the, and the most powerful thing is here, he wants this to be foundational truth for the Corinthian church. Yes, It's foundational truth for our church. You lose this, you've lost the whole thing. Yep. Uh, this is the foundation. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was raised in accordance with the scriptures, and everything depends on that. Yes. Uh, amen. Matt, you, you were saying off the air um, how this doctrine of the resurrection applies in a very practical way to our labor in the Lord. Yeah. At the very end of it, when he describes the nature of the resurrection, the hope to come, and so forth, in verse 58, the very last verse, he says, Therefore, which you always have to ask, what is that word, therefore? Uh, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Why would he put that, not just persevering in your faith, persevering in your works, persevering what you're doing in the kingdom of God? Well, there's a therefore there. In other words, because of the doctrine of the resurrection, because of the truth of the resurrection, your works are going to last. Yeah. Uh, and you say, well, what's the, what's the connection? Well, he, he's raising all of your works in Christ. He's, he's not just raising you. Um, and, and if you think about it, well, okay, what does that mean, though? Well, what is the one thing you do get to take to heaven? Souls. We talk about soul winning, you know, uh, souls that will never die. And so if you are working in Christ's kingdom, you are working on eternal souls. And so you can bet that because Christ has been raised, all these saints that you've been working on are going to be raised as well. Yeah. Mm. Amen. Amen. What an encouraging thing for the church to hear today, for all of us to hear. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. If you were interested in subscribing to our podcast, just go to the Gospel for Life. And you'll find us there. Also, our upcoming conference is scheduled for this November. If you go to ReformationBoise.com, you can find out all the details. It's going to be a wonderful conference. The theme is In Christ Alone. We're going to be looking at our assurance of our salvation, our union with Christ, um, what obedience to Christ looks like, and then the, the topic of the return of Christ. So we hope that you can come, and uh, we will talk to you next time. 